battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to another episode. Uh, I just want to say thank you to uh, apparently all the new listeners that the show has. Um, I, I don't know exactly where they came from, but you know, within the last uh, month or two, I, I'd say that the the listener base has doubled or maybe even tripled some weeks uh, for the show. So uh, you know, definitely uh, want to say thank you. Uh, the show uh, just recently added on Stitcher. Maybe that's part of it. Uh, I'm working on getting it on Spotify next. Uh, my goal is to, to have it on there sometime this summer. Um, but, you know, a lot of people listening to the show, so uh, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I, I never intended uh, there to be this many people uh, originally. Just kind of listen to me yammer on about body piercing with uh, with some friends and colleagues. So I totally appreciate it. Uh, for all the new listeners, you know, if there's something that you want to hear on the show... Totally just reach out. You can um, message me off the uh, Piercing Wizard Podcast Facebook page. You can go ahead and like that, or you can email me directly at ryanpba at gmail.com and uh, let me know what you want to hear on the show. You know, do you like the interviews? Do you want me to take um, more questions through email? Do you want me to talk more about um, troubleshooting, little bits and blurbs? Do you want me to talk more about news or, or trends? Or do you want me to just kind of keep the, uh, the interview format going? So reach out, let me know. Um, what you're listening to and, and, and what you're liking about it. My guest this week is Kieran Steer. Uh, Kieran was one of the piercers who attended my class in London uh, this past week. I had every intention of getting some podcast interviews done while I was there, but with uh, with the time difference and jet lag and I was kind of fighting a cold and uh, it didn't really line up for me. So uh, just know that the wrestling shows were fantastic. And uh, I thought that the seminar went really well. You know, I had a really good group of people. Um, everybody is so polite. Uh, I, I guess people in the UK feel um, uh, that they don't want to, you know, stick their hands up and, and ask questions and, and maybe interrupt the class quite as much as uh, as uh, American piercers might. Uh, go figure. Uh, the UK people are, are a bit more um, uh, subdued and, and, and polite. But I, I definitely want to say thank you for... Uh, for all the people that that came, uh, I got a really good engagement, you know, and I saw again those those light bulbs just kind of starting to go off, and um, that's that's really what I do it for. So uh, definitely want to say thank you for that. Um, next uh, class, next teaching expedition will be the APP conference in Las Vegas. Um, that's that's really getting down to the wire. I'm getting really excited for that one. Um, a lot of really just cool, fun stuff to look forward to. You know, lots of cool events at conference. Um, getting to see all my friends and uh, even those board meetings, even those incredibly long board meetings are, are, are pretty fun. You know, we get a lot of work done. Uh, that's one thing I really want to say about the uh, the current APP board of directors is there are a lot of really hard workers, you know, uh, especially with some of the issues that, you know, we don't really talk about publicly. You know, some of the things to make sure that people have the best experience possible, uh, to make sure that we try to keep um, some of the... The toxic elements uh, away from uh, conference and, uh, and away from the industry, you know, a lot of work is done behind the scenes, um, you know, and, and if you if you see those board members at, at conference this year, you know, maybe walk up and, and give them a pat on the back or 
buy him a drink, buy him a taco, or, or you know, give him a, a hug, a consensual hug, very important. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're working hard to make sure that the experience is, is great for everybody. So uh, I'm looking forward to being involved in it. You know, it's an awesome group of people, and, uh, and I'm honored to be, uh, you know, to be part of that and, and, and be able to help out. So uh, let's get into this week's uh, interview with Kieran. We talk a lot about sales techniques and how to make sure that we're not pressuring people into uh, buying jewelry, that we want to basically make sure that they're uh, they're choosing the jewelry that they really want and uh, choosing jewelry that, that fits their budget comfortably, you know, and, and trying not to push them too hard in uh, one direction or another. So let's get into that interview and I'll be back a little bit after. My name's Kieran Steer. Uh, I work at a shop in sort of like the Surrey London border called Old on the Road Tattoos in Kingston upon Thames. Uh, you can find me on social media at Piercing by Kieran. That's C I A R O N. Um, and then on Facebook, be exactly the same Facebook.com forward slash Piercing by Kieran. So are you also in like the Everyone Massacres My Name Club? For sure. Like, I, you get people calling out. It's like, can I speak to Piercing by Sharon, please? And I really don't understand how they get Sharon from my name, but it happens. There's Sharon, Siren, Sierra. But if my parents just put a K at the beginning of it, I think everyone would have got it. Well, you can blame them, I guess. Yeah, I guess your your surname is exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I you know, I, at this point, I don't even care. You know, like people know uh, like who I am, so I don't think they need to specifically pronounce my last name but whenever they try yeah. it it's it's usually pretty comical yeah like it's i think it's kind of good to that stage where like most people just call you by a pet name now so it's really rare that i get called by my name yeah most people just call me hey asshole yeah <laughs> so uh you were one of the people that came to my my class in london um how do you how do you think it went do you think i i bombed or do you think it went okay i it was it was absolutely terrible Thank you. No, uh, <laughs> that was really interesting. Um, I've, I've done like I did a Ron Garza's course. Uh, was it four or five years ago? He was at London. Mm-hmm. Um, it was yeah. It's it's always those sort of like one thing you can pick up on those classes that you kind of think, ah oh, shit, like that's a lot easier doing it that way than say you know how you've been doing it before. Right. So I think sometimes even just doing those courses, even if you take one thing away, it's still worth whatever you've ended up paying for it. Yeah, you know, that's that's a, a big thing for me going to different conferences is I never want to go into it thinking like, you know, oh, I know it all. I don't need to go to the classes. I don't need to, you know, like, engage with people and, and get their ideas because every time I go to every single conference, I always end up picking up at least one, like, tip or trick. Yeah, for sure. Like, no matter how long you've kind of been in the industry or piercing or, you know, skill level, there's always that, that you know, one or two things that you can pick up that you think – okay, like, that's so simple, but why haven't I thought about it like that before? Right. Was there anything that you took away from the class, either something that I went over or something that one of the other attendees was talking about? Yeah, I think with your class especially, it was uh, taking away sort of, like, the the first two sort of, like, bevels using those, like, where you kind of get that, like, uh, I guess, like, a bit more, like, we have to put a bit more push into it towards Mm -hmm. the end where you're catching that back bevel. It's kind of, like, when that clicked, and I was like, okay, I understand it now. And now it's just been, I guess, the last week or so, it's just been focusing on that and starting to notice how things have got a lot smoother from that, which which has been great. Awesome. Yeah, because, I mean, that just like I said in the class, like, that was always, like, the missing piece for me. I would take Mm -hmm. a class from someone else, and they would be like, oh, yeah, everybody understands that, you know, bevel up, bevel down, right? And I always just be like, (laughs) well, sure. Um, but yeah, like actually seeing it and, and being able to like 
do the practical examples like right in someone's face. I mean, not literally, but um, but you know, being yeah, able to show them. Them. yeah, because then it starts to click for them, you know, and and then if they if they're doing certain things that are kind of their muscle memory and their comfort zone, and I can kind of pick out little things to say, well, you know, if you angle this more or like more force here, less force here, uh, you'd get different results. And it was just cool to see people like at the beginning of the day have that sort of almost intimidation look like, okay, this mm-hmm. is maybe more than I'm comfortable with. And then after the slideshow and the, the hands-on stuff and all this stuff, it was all starting to like click for pretty much everybody. And, and I just thought that was, that was cool. That's why I really like teaching these classes. Yeah, you, you never really think about like being able to notice certain things just by piercing a banana. Right. <laughs> it seems like something basic that you, you you can see when you're going, you know, straight in, no bevel th- theory, and you're getting that little bit, I guess, like banana blast. <laughs> and then <laughs> you can notice if, yeah, just that slight sort of like, you know, putting a little bit more thought into placement and that kind of thing where it just kind of comes through and is a little bit more seamless. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed to work. The foam thing, um, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing the foam thing because I don't, it's just not close enough to something like fleshy. You know, mm-hmm. the banana worked. I'm going to wonder if there's any other like readily accessible fruit because the thing about it is you can go anywhere in the world and there's always going to be some shop down the street that sells bananas. So it's really easy to grab some. Yeah, we, yeah, we didn't really get onto too much like foam-based things, but uh, yeah, you can kind of, I think with bananas having, I guess, a few more layers to them, you can start to notice those small differences from the way you're holding your needle and the angle of it. Right. Yeah. Because like I was saying in the class too, you can, you can definitely try this stuff on friends or coworkers or, or willing clients or something like that. But you know, the, the difference being between being able to do it once or twice and being able to do it a hundred times over on something that's not going to groan or like move, um, makes it, <laughs> it just makes you be able to, to, learn it and get it down faster and faster and faster uh, yeah especially if you're not in uh i guess like a busy shop where you can do the same piercing like multiple times a day right like if if you know if you're the amount of piercings you're doing per day you know is five and you, you know you're not doing any nostrils or whatever for a week yeah you're not really going to pick that technique up as quickly as you did if you're working in a shop where you're doing like five nostrils a day right and you can kind of dial it in and start to nail it towards the end of your working day it's going to take you a lot longer to start picking things up. So, um, like, what, as you were kind of, like, coming up in your career, what were you doing for practice? Was it one of those things where you, you had ideas in your mind and it was just kind of, like, I want to wait until someone comes in and asks for it? Or, or you know, like, how do how does everybody learn in different ways? You know, Because for me, it was, it was 100% just like, man, I really hope a nostril comes in today so I can try this or try that. But I, I didn't really get to do things like, you know, 20 times over in a day because I've never really worked in a, a high-volume shop. Yeah, 100%. Like, I had, a, I guess, probably like most pierces these days. It's not these days, but uh, I had a really terrible apprenticeship. So most of what I was taught, I had to quickly forget. And uh, mine, it was literally a case of if something came in and I wanted to try something different, then client pays for the jewelry and then you know we just take it from there until eventually i'm comfortable and then it would just be a full price kind of thing Mm -hmm. but i wasn't working somewhere that was like the after i left my first shop where i went to it it took me a while before i was i guess had a steady income of clients um so it was was a good year before i was even doing you know like a a regular number of things per day so I, I left my apprenticeship after two years, maybe, but it wasn't. It was like a two-week apprenticeship. Someone that wanted to kind of start making money off me as quick as possible. Yeah. So it's. I started a basic understanding of what piercing 
I could do comfortably and didn't need to focus on a huge amount. But there was a lot of things that I didn't really get a chance to do a lot of before I moved shops, but kind of had to move or I was just going to be stuck doing, you know, like 50 pairs of gun deer lobes a day kind of thing. Right, right. So how long have you been in that newer shop at this point? So where where I'm working now, I've been here for coming up to three years, but um, I've worked in a couple of shops before that for about a, a year or two each. So I've been in the industry since 2011, um, did two years at the first shop. Uh, I think I did a year and a half and then another year somewhere else. And yeah, I've been here for three. I think that adds up. So uh, how long have you been piercing with like US style, like blade needles and internal thread jewelry and all that? I guess I started it uh, four years ago at my previous shop. Um, I guess doing it like 100% completely internally threaded or threadless. Uh, only since I started working at Old London Road, so two and a half, three years ago. Mm-hmm. What, what's the what's the main obstacle for people? Do you, do you think it's, you know, you know, for shops to expand into that stuff, do you think it's the fact that they have to import so much of it? Do you feel like it's... Um, a lack of educated client base that are that are drawn to those things? Do you feel like it's a combination of a few different things? I think it's probably a whole mix of everything you just said. So with importing things, you, instead of being able to phone up a company and be like, I'll take 50, you know, 16-gauge librettes in this size, and you can have them the next day, you kind of have to take your time to put that order together and then be like, what am I going to need in six to 12 weeks? And you kind of have to estimate it from that. So it's a little bit more difficult keeping uh, like a, a level of stock where you can actually run your studio. Right. Um, and then it's also the higher price point. So it's a, it's then a case of having the confidence in yourself and your product to uh, be able to tell your clients, you know, why the product is better and for them to listen to you and want to spend that little bit of extra money. How how receptive do you find that your clients are to that? I think most of them have been absolutely fine. Like we, it wasn't actually something we went straight into. Uh, like right, one day we're stocking this, the next day we're not stocking it, and we're going to tell you it's a really bad product. It was much more of a like I guess a staggered thing. Mm-hmm. So it was opening people up to the options that they had to get pierced with and eventually phasing out uh, I guess the lesser quality products and moving in more of like an industry standard product right so it it was it got a little bit more easier the more people kind of came in and your social medias uh, sort of like starting to fill up with you know nicer options and people realize they can get more than just a like a plain ball that's got a you know foil back CZ kind of thing in it mm-hmm. so that they can get something a little bit more intricate that is going to last as opposed to something they go on holiday, get, you know, go in a chlorine filled bowl and then their gemstones green. Yeah. You know, I've, I have that same struggle here. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people will come in and they'll be used to that kind of entry level style jewelry or like costume jewelry. And, uh, but it's, it seems so much easier when you can just kind of, you know, I I don't like to trash anybody's jewelry because I don't want to make them feel self-conscious but I'll mm-hmm. just, I'll mention some of the things that I know they're probably going to dislike about it already. Like, you know, oh, you know, I noticed that the your your gem discolored a little bit, you know, and, and these ones don't do that because of this. Or, you know, I noticed that you have a nostril screw kind of hanging out. And are you comfortable with that? Do you like that? And they're always like, no, I hate it, but I've never been <laughs> able to do anything better. And like, oh, but look at what I have here. So, you know, I try to like... I try to open up the conversation without like dumping on them, but just For kind sure. of showing them like what's so different about our stuff. 
Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to be able to sell jewelry to someone when you start immediately with like a negative, mm-hmm. like, oh, your jewelry's crap. Why don't you get something good? It's like, oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think, especially with our clientele, it's it's having that lifetime guarantee mm-hmm. when they realize that they are only really having to purchase like one piece of jewelry, you know, if, if say like a standard lower quality gem ball is five pounds and they're having to buy, you know, five or six of them over the course of like that lifetime and they're all getting the same issues but if you've only got to buy one for the same price it saves you multiple trips your jewelry's obviously going to look nicer the gem quality is a lot higher it's once they kind of realize that okay maybe i don't have to worry about it falling off and having to refit it myself 500 times either that that seems to in our area once they realize okay i've only got my one piece it's they're a little more receptive to the idea of spending a little bit more money what uh, what's it like with the? I, I don't know if you refer to other shops as as competition or if you're like friendlier with them or something. But what are the other shops in your area? Um, like, how do they respond to you offering one product and them possibly offering another? Do you feel like it's adversarial or do you feel like they kind of uh, that's a goal for them too? Or, or like how how like what's the general vibe in your area for other studios? So I guess I'm super lucky that. Um the the two local shops that i wouldn't say competition because i think we all kind of have our own clientele base and um we tend to offer our clientele base similar sort of products so um mara who did uh, your seminar um she's maybe 10 15 minutes away and we offer us like a similar sort of product um same brands um you know same sort of standard of piercing and she's 15 minutes away we share clients together um so if i'm not in one day and she's open we have no issues you know, or if she stocks a piece of jewelry that I don't have in stock, her, you know, my clients are more than happy to travel over to her. So I don't necessarily have that issue of I've got like a, a piercer who's offering a substandard product for half the price. Like, I guess the only one would be Claire's accessories, but I think everyone kind of has to deal with them and they wouldn't really call them competition as such. Right. So, yeah, I guess I'm I'm really lucky in the fact that I don't have to deal with too much of that, I guess, like shop drama kind of thing. Well, that's pretty great because I yeah. I think uh, like even here you know there there are a few shops in my area that you know they don't they don't really get under my skin I don't really get mm-hmm. under their skin but um, you know they have that kind of like sneering kind of like oh yeah you went there and then I have that same thing <laughs> of like oh yeah you went there and it's not really something where we can chat like there's a there's a place in the shopping center near me and they offer like very inexpensive piercings because they offer very inexpensive piercings you know and it's yeah a constant thing where, where people are coming in with all these problems and all that and you know I'm, I'm changing out their jewelry and I'm just wondering if my customers are going into that store and being told like you know oh yeah this person ripped you off and this jewelry like we have something that'll only cost you 10 bucks over here and you don't need to spend a hundred on that and blah 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 so it, it's always just kind of uh it's interesting to see the dynamic in in each area, you know, and it's it's cool that you don't have to deal with anyone in like a competition or uh, like opposing force type of way. Yeah, I think I think once people realize that it's not necessarily a competition as such, um, I think people are a lot more receptive to communication, especially so where I am. There's obviously a few shops that they've been doing it the same way for however long. Um, and aren't really interested in making any progress but that you know they seem to have a particular clientele that 
you know i don't tend to see a huge amount of which is fine um but yeah it seems anybody that's that's taken those steps to kind of advance the jewelry they're offering in their studio or their their services that they offer in their studio they're a lot more receptive to even you know like recommending new clients if it's something they're not comfortable doing mm-hmm. or if their client needs a particular piece of jewelry they're in it's it's not as oh i've got a shop five minutes down the road that's doing the same thing uh, i better you know bad mouth them so that i get all of those clientele it's um i'm fortunate enough that i don't have to deal with a huge amount of that mm-hmm. um whereas i think a lot of areas in the uk um like there's there's a lot more piercing shops so even though I live in like a big student populated town the I think the the price of like commercial property is a lot higher so there's a lot less people opening I guess that kind of business mm-hmm. it's a lot more chain kind of things so okay. there's not a huge amount of tattoo there's I guess there's more tattoo shops but they don't tend to offer piercing as much as well okay. so I don't think the the square footage they get for their money kind of allows them to um but we're super lucky like the owner of our shop is like fully understands that it's something that you kind of have to invest in. Right. And um, she, she's super receptive to the idea that, you know, you can kind of set yourself apart from what other people are doing. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be in a in a location that you have high rent for, you know, um, I just don't understand the thought process of, I want to offer the cheapest possible piercings, you know, and I'm not saying that you need to actively try to offer the most expensive, mm-hmm. but, you know, if you have products that you're selling that are more comparable with a cheeseburger, versus like uh, like a pair of trainers or something like that. Like um, it just seems like better business sense to focus on quality and like selling yeah. nicer jewelry and to get people in who are a little bit more comfortable with not like crazy high ticket stuff, but like medium ticket purchases. You know, it, it seems like that's just a better business model in general. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a big thing that a lot of people when they first start offering a higher ticket price items, it's it's finding what your clients seem to be receptive to spending. So you're not always going to get, you know, 10 clients that come in one day that want to spend sort of like a hundred pounds. Whereas you might find you get a lot more coming in that want to spend between, I guess like 50 to 70. And there's still a lot of like nice jewelry that you can buy for that sort of price point. And it's, it's finding what your average kind of client is willing to spend. Yeah. And then having, I guess a higher stock of those kind of items. Whereas yeah, I guess when, if you're opening and you're trying to offer like a, not a lower quality, it's a lower quality product and you're trying to do more. Like if you're doing 20 piercings for 20 quid, you're making, you know, 400 pounds. Whereas if you do 10 for 40, you're doing half the amount of work mm-hmm. and doing the same. It just kind of gives you a little bit more time to, you know, educate your clients a little bit more. And eventually those clients are going to start spending a little bit more money. They're going to start bringing your, you know, their friends in. And then you've got more people that are willing to spend that kind of thing. Right. And you know, and especially... You got to, you got to think like you have repeat clients, you know? So even if someone comes in the first time and, and, you know, they, they don't have it in their budget to, to get something, you know, ridiculous and super fancy, you know, just getting, getting a quality piece in them and that they understand, okay, this is why this, this costs this much, you know, um, because it's better. It doesn't fall apart. It stays shiny. It looks nice. And then, um, you know, I, I always like to tell people, you don't have to start with the gold. You know, you can start with the titanium and then, uh, you know, you can always come back and we can put a new top on it, you know? So 
Uh, I, I definitely, I'll start my focus with the gold case and like the fancier options. And then, you know, if people say, you know, that's outside of my budget or, you know, I'm not looking to spend that much today, I'll be like, totally like look right over here. I've got this whole titanium uh, display for you. And, you know, it really just the, the main point that I want to drive home is just like, don't put in garbage jewelry, you know, like <laughs> sure. Yeah. You can, you can get something that's, that's five pounds, you know, 10 bucks, whatever. And, uh, but it's going to fall apart. It's going to fall out. You know, your piercing is going to be more irritated. It's going to be gooey or smell bad or get like a bump on it or something like that, you know? So just, just kind of opening people's minds to the possibility of there being different qualities is I, I think the most important conversation you can have with somebody. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's also, not sort of like prejudging someone before they walk in the door. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people they send to, you know, see like a 16, 17 year old, like a school or college age person that's coming in. You think, oh, they're not going to have the kind of money. I'm not going to bother trying to sell them a piece of jewelry. Um, when in reality, like a lot of my clients, they're, they're that sort of uni age where they have student loans and that's, they're not going to have to worry about paying that money back until they finish uni. So they're a little bit more, I guess, loose with it. Mm-hmm. And they're the kind of people that they're, they're willing to spend that little bit extra if it means it looks good. Yeah. It's, I think you kind of put it best. I can't remember which podcast you're doing. It was the pumpkin spice generation. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, it's exactly that. It's they're they're willing to spend sort of like, you know, $8 on a coffee. So right. like, why would they not be willing to spend a little bit more money on their jewelry? Yeah. I, you know, I think, uh, if it's a generational thing where maybe they're spending their parents' money instead of their money, mm-hmm. maybe they're a little bit more free with it. And I, I think also, you know, when, when people get to that, that age where they are spending their money, sometimes at first their instinct can be, well, I, I don't really want to, I don't want to spend more than I have to. But mm-hmm. then I, I like to lay it out for them, you know, and, and when people, especially when people say, well, I'm going to start with something cheap and then then I'll upgrade later and I'll just, I'll level with people and I'll be like, you can totally do that. I'm more than happy to do that for you. But then just keep in mind that you're buying two pieces of jewelry that way, you know? And yeah, it works you don't out necessarily cheaper if you get a nicer one that. first. Right, exactly. You know, and, and that's what they really want anyway. So I think part of part of the technique of, of sales isn't really pushing. It's really just making mm-hmm. them feel okay with getting the thing that they actually want to get. You know, and a, a lot of it is just like, hey, you know what? If If you can afford it, and you want it, just go ahead and get it. You know, like, you know, if you go home tomorrow uh, and you have uh, like a, just a basic, you know, neo metal or something like that, there's nothing wrong with that. You're still going to like it, but maybe you'll have that little thought in the back of your mind where it was like, oh, I wish I had gone with the gold or I wish I had gone with the diamond or something. And it's like, do you really need to have that regret? You know, like you, you, you've got the money. You Sometimes you just don't like to spend it, but you can spend it. Yeah, and I think, there's there's also the the opposite way of that is it's not trying to force that sale on people so they go home and they feel guilty about buying it right because then they're going to feel really shitty they're not necessarily going to want to come back because they're going to feel like you're going to force them to spend more money than they wanted to have spent yes, totally. and then they're going to go to another shop and another shop's going to take care of them a lot better than you have and you've mm-hmm. kind of lost that client and then any potential clients that, that they could have brought you so i think it's finding what your client is is wanting and understanding what their budget is and you know, if their budget's, you know, $75, don't show them the piece that's, you know, $300. It's not really going to be, you know, there's, that's time spent that you could, you can try to, you can get people to spend a little bit more than they want to, but it's not forcing them into, you know, not being able to afford to eat that week. Right. Yeah. Because, well, another thing too, is you don't, you don't want to establish it in their mind that every piercing costs $300, you know, because yeah, then, sure. 
they might not even just go to another high quality shop with with like a less pressured sales tactic. They might just not go to a good quality shop at all. They might just go mm -hmm. back to the mall stores or the accessory stores and spend as little as possible because then you've kind of put them off of quality piercing. So, you know, I, it's it's a conversation. And you definitely want to feel feel it out. And I, I had an example. Uh, I had a situation just the other day where someone came in and they had one nipple piercing from a local studio and it not done super well. It was more like a like a cheap tongue barbell just in their nipple. <laughs> it was scarred and you know the angle wasn't great and the jewelry itself didn't look great. Uh, they wanted to get their other nipple pierced and I said, well, you know, if we're going to pierce the other nipple, why don't we just do a pair of jewelry for you um, so that they both match and maybe the material is going to be a bit better and, and make that existing piercing happier. Uh, we went through the whole conversation of, of um, forward-facing gem barbells and you know they, they really liked them and then when it got to the point where I was giving them a total and, and ringing them up, their face just kind of like sunk and it was like, oh, I had no idea it would be that much. And uh, and then there was kind of that like precipice moment where you could tell that like they would have gone along with it if I had nudged them, you know, because they were like, mm -hmm. well, I guess I could put some of it on my credit card and pay some of it with cash. And I could have just gone along with it and been like, yeah, okay, do that. Um, but I could tell that that wasn't really the, the best way to serve them because they didn't, they, they weren't necessarily in a place where they, they, should be spending that money um so you know I, I dialed it back and i said you know just so you know i can i can put in plain barbells like non-gem barbells and that will save you you know x amount and you can always come back later if you want to but you know let's I, i'd say the the priority for me is getting good quality jewelry in you rather than getting fancy jewelry and a higher ticket so are you comfortable with that something smaller and you know, she was like, yeah, you know, that, that, you know, that's perfect. Thank you. I have no problem doing that. You know, I appreciate it. So, um, in the end, you know, I made less money, but I made a happier client that's going to be more likely to come back and is going to trust me a little bit more because I didn't try to push them just, just to increase my bottom line. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. Like I think one of the main things you kind of have to do as a body piercer is understand like where your clients are coming from and like, you kind of have to pick up on them like subtle things that they do to to understand what kind of mind frame they're in when you start you know talking about pricing right. if, if you're saying oh it's 150 dollars and then they suddenly kind of get a funny look in their eyes and you kind of think okay maybe i should dial it back a little bit yeah let's start to look at a slightly lower ticket item and then you find the the happy medium where you know they get a nice quality piercing they leave happy and they don't feel like you've scammed them into spending you know money that they've budgeted on other things right Right. Yeah. You don't want to lose that trust factor because, you know, you can still give them an awesome piercing with awesome jewelry. But if they if they even have that little tinge of I, you know, I don't I don't feel comfortable with this person's sales technique. I feel a little bit abused or whatever, then they're going to be less likely to, to come back or, or send their friends to you. Yeah, like you kind of just want to be like a, a no pressure sort of situation. You don't want to be jumping down people's throats so that they can, you know, you can make more money, at, you know, their so like uh, what's the word i don't know i've lost my trailer for it's like stewardship basically yeah yeah uh yeah you're not trying to force you know the fact that you need to make rent this month and force them into buying jewelry so that you can afford that it's exactly it, it's at like the end you, of the day they're going to end up getting pierced and they're going to have a good experience and you're still going to make money you might not make that extra money on that day but over the next sort of coming months you would you know you're going to make it eventually 
Yeah, you, you never want to go into the jewelry conversation with an agenda, you know? Like, it it, mm-hmm. it kind of drives me nuts when, you know, okay, I understand that piercers can get very excited when they get new jewelry in, especially if it's if it's kind of uh, the beginning of their, their fancy jewelry quest, you know? Like, they, they get this one piece in where they're like, oh, man, I really want to get this in somebody and get a picture on Instagram and this and that and gain the momentum and whatever, but... Don't go into your sales approach with an agenda. Like if you if you think I've got this one piece of jewelry and I'm going to sell it by the end of the day, you know, and you're just trying to shove it down every person's throat, uh, you come off as sleazy, you know. But what I like to do is is more like the point at what you like kind of thing to get the the ball rolling, you know. Because you know, what if I'm trying to 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 push some rose gold, you know, specific gem color, specific style, or whatever, and that's just not there their taste um so what i like to do is you know these things in front of you what are you what are you liking what do you not like and then once they kind of start to to give me an idea of you know oh okay i like something more delicate i like this certain kind of stone or like i like white gold and i hate rose gold something like that um then you help to find them the jewelry that that they'll really love rather than just the piece that you as the salesperson like and and want them to buy yeah, I think it's a mistake that a lot of people, when they do start getting those first orders in from this name brand companies, is is trying to sell your jewelry without um, sort of like demeaning what else you're stocking. So mm-hmm. people are like, oh, this is shit, and I'll put it in you, but this is really good, so spend this extra money. It's, I think that's the issue a lot of people have is they're they're trying to find a way to still sell a lesser product without having their clients think, oh, so you're you'll you'll happily put a a substandard piece of jewelry in me which is essentially what you're telling them you know but you're still gonna try and sell me this piece yeah so i i refer to that as um bottom up sales technique versus Mm -hmm. top down sales technique and i i really don't i don't understand why people still do that you know maybe it's just because they've never seen another way or you know Shadowing can be really valuable for more than just piercing technique. You know, you can you can do shadowing for how people handle their their sales techniques or their aftercare, or whatever for customer service. But you know, it's the same thing. If you if you go into something saying, um, "This is our standard jewelry. I can pierce you with this for X amount," or you can spend more and do this, um, it it doesn't really work that way. You know, and especially if uh, if you start like trying to push the the really really fancy stuff and say this is amazing it's this and that and whatever and then you get down to that other piece and you're like yeah this isn't any of those things that that were there <laughs> it does totally erode the trust you know so you know i, I think if you're going to try to get into um higher end jewelry or whatever uh you, you kind of have to get comfortable with abandoning a certain portion of the market and uh, i definitely had that where for a while, I was using some external and some internal, and I had to really just make the make the hard decision of like, okay, I have to completely get rid of this stuff, not phase it out, you know, not sell it or pierce with it until it's gone and not reorder it. Like, I just have to stop. Like, I have to completely pull it from all of my, like, storage containers and out of my cases and all that stuff. And I, I really have to... I really have to just kind of start fresh because you you can't uh, again uh, abuse that stewardship or that trust level with a client and say, well, okay, we we offer both good and bad. Um, you know, it's it's really got to be a minimum standard, and then you can build on that. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't like that whole like bottom up sales approach. It, I don't really think it does uh, clients a good service. Yeah, I think it's it's also about having uh, like 
uh like reasonable distances between your sort of like pricing range as well you can't be offering like a five pound externally threaded barbell and then your next item is going to cost them 40 pounds right it's a really huge sort of like leap from your you know sounds entry level to sort of like your standard like industry standard level it's if you've got something that's going to cost them, you know, 20 pounds and then you're going to say 30, 40 and so on, it's it's not having such a leap between, oh, yeah, you can get a plain barbell for 20 pounds. Or if you want a gemstone, it's going to cost you 50. It's it's having those like distances between. So there's kind of a price point for everyone, but still keeping it in like a, a safe industry standard, you know, sort of piece of jewelry. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't want to just have just neo metal and body vision you know i want to have mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in between so yeah if people if, if their style is you know a 300 hundred dollar piece of jewelry that's great but a lot of people don't have that you know so um again with the top down i'll i'll just basically say point at what you're liking you know sky's the limit and then once they pick out something then what i'll usually do is my my best phrase i have okay i have two phrases that really help me a lot in situations like that um if they get to the point where they pick a piece of jewelry and it's going to be a little bit on the higher price side, then I'll usually say, okay, do you want me to put a total with uh, a total together for that? And if they just kind of say like, no, it's fine. Then you get that feeling where it's like, okay, you know, budget is not a concern for them. They're just going to get whatever they want and they're going to be comfortable mm-hmm. paying for it. Uh, and then if people say like, oh yeah, you know, if you could, and then you give them the price and you, you see that little kind of twinge where they're like, oh yeah, I had no idea it would be that much. Then what I like to, to come back with isn't like, um, okay, well, I can bring you way over here to this cheapest possible jewelry. I like to just ask them, you know, what's your what's your comfortable budget today? Like, you know, what are you comfortable spending? And then if they say, well, you know, I, I really didn't want to spend more than a hundred or a hundred and fifty, then I can lay out all the options that that fit that budget, and I can say, okay, well, maybe you want to be looking at this display, maybe you want to be looking at this row. But I think it's really important to not just have two price tiers because then if people get that sticker shock, sometimes their first instinct is like. Show me your cheapest, simplest, plainest thing. And it, it kind of does them a disservice when you don't have options between that. Because maybe they don't want just a super plain ball or, or something with just a, a clear gem. Maybe they want something with like an opal, you know, maybe like a simpler setting or something like that. And maybe they're perfectly comfortable spending something in that middle range. But yeah, yeah you don't want to just have polar opposites. Yes, you don't want to have your entry level being 40 pounds and your next level being 100 because if they don't want to spend that 100 they might be perfectly capable of spending 70 and happy spending 70 but if your next option down is so far away you're kind of losing out on 30 pounds then that they would have been willing to spend and right. they're also not going to end up getting what they kind of wanted either yeah and you know there is that that concern in the back of my mind too where you know people talk about you know this is my plan uh, this is what I this is what I want for it you know I want a, a gem cluster I want something with uh, whatever some sort of like fancy option and i don't want them to just get pierced with like the the least expensive option for me and then they go to one of those cheapo accessory stores mm-hmm. where they see something that looks like what they want but it's a much worse quality and then you know they end up changing their jewelry too soon they end up getting problems and then sometimes maybe they feel self-conscious about coming back for a checkup with me and then they end up going somewhere else and i've completely lost them as a client so i really want to have a lot of options because i want to be able to uh, properly serve all the different clientele that comes in you know and and everybody has you know obviously different different budgets available to them so i don't want to just focus on uh, 
you know, rich people, posh people, people with a mm-hmm. lot of disposable income. I want to be able to service everyone. And, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, totally entry level or like, you know, a couple of rungs above that or some ridiculous, like blinged out option. Like I, I want to be able to have a little bit for everybody. Yeah. And I think you kind of have to understand that not everybody is going to end up getting pierced. Like when they come in your shop, um, it was something that I guess it used to get me down a little bit is when, you know, people would come in, you were like, oh, it's going to cost you this amount of money to get this pierced. Um, and they'd be like, okay, cool. And then they'll walk out and you'd be like, it would kind of, you have to realize that not everybody is going to be comfortable spending that amount of money regardless. Right. Like some yeah. people might have a lot of disposable income, but piercing is something that is, is up on their list of things that they're comfortable spending a lot of money on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's a luxury item, you know, like a piercing yeah, is a sure. necessity. Sometimes the draw of body piercing can be a necessity for people, but when it comes to fancier jewelry options, that's, that's definitely not a necessity, you know, and I had, I had, uh, two other clients just the other day, they, they came in and, um, we had this long conversation, you know, it was the beginning of the day, it was slow. I had lots of time to, to chat with them and one of them wanted a nostril, the other one wanted a navel and we were going over all these options and they were already looking at my my less expensive options. You know, it wasn't that I drove them one way or the other, but that's just what um, like visually appealed to them. And the, the one that was looking for the nostril, she had picked a very, very plain, simple piece and I think the price came out to like $72, $72 you know, and... To, in my studio, that's about as cheap as it gets. You know, like sixty-five, seventy is is really the the bare minimum to be able to uh, offer it with the the quality that we do. So she had already picked like the uh, the least expensive option essentially, and her friend didn't necessarily pick the least expensive, but she picked very close to it. You know, she picked uh, something that would have put her navel piercing at around ninety-five or something like that. And those, you know, with gemstones are usually going to be around eighty-five at a minimum. So I gave them the prices. And the, the nostril client was immediately sticker shocked, you know, and, oh, you know, I, I, I had no idea it would be that much. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking like, well, that's really kind of like nothing really when it comes to, you know, talking about like, rel- you know, all things relative yeah. uh, when it comes to piercings. Like, I, but I didn't want to say that out loud and do the whole like, well, that's actually the least expensive thing we have because then I'm going to look like a prick and, you know, <laughs> she might feel embarrassed. So. But she, her, her um, apprehension kind of eroded the the confidence of her friend that was getting the navel, and her friend was totally fine spending ninety five. She was happy. She really wanted to get it, and then her friend's apprehension just kind of started to erode that confidence. And then they started doing the, I don't know if you get the same level of like fake polite where it's like, oh yeah, we're just gonna think about it for a minute, and then and it's like when people say that, like I appreciate the fact that they're trying to be polite. But I totally know that what they're really saying is like, I don't want to spend that much. I'm not going to get it done. Um, yeah, it's a conversation ender, isn't it? It's like, I'm going to politely ask you to kind of leave me alone without saying leave me alone. Basically. So I can make a very quiet exit from your shop. <laughs> right. And and what I used to do is I, I used to talk until I was blue in the face about, okay, you know, you can go somewhere else, but make sure of this, that, and whatever. And, you know, now maybe sometimes I'll, I'll touch on a few different things, you know, because I know, I know what my competition, um, does, you know, and and I know what their selling points are, you know, and it's all price based, you know, but it's because they're using certain things, you know, so I'll, I'll usually tell people now, um, unless they're completely closed off to it and they look like they absolutely just want me to shut up and leave them alone. Um, I'll usually just give them one of my aftercare brochures and there'll be a, a little section on the back page that talks about, 
external thread versus internal thread and, and this and that. And, and I'll just be like, you know, just, just so you know, like uh, external thread is below our minimum standard, which is typically what studios that offer a lower price point will do to, to kind of cut corners and to offer that, that less expensive price tag. So just be aware that we don't offer this because it, it doesn't meet our safety standards. So just use caution. Um, and I would say, uh, you know, uh, try to maybe avoid these materials, um, you know, read this aftercare packet so you know what to do and specifically not to do for, for cleaning it. And uh, and then I just basically, I, I cut them loose and I, I let them make their own decision. You know, if they want to come back to me, they can come back to me, but um, I, I don't want them to just leave and go to another shop and think that we offer the same thing, but I was trying to like rip them off basically, you know, so... I want to give them that little bit of education of, okay, you know, this might look similar, but it's different because of A, B, and C. Um, and you're perfectly fine. You, you know, I'm comfortable with you making your own decision as to what you you prioritize, but this is why we can't offer a $40 piercing. Yeah, it's not about uh, becoming like their parents and nagging them. Right. Like everyone is kind of free to make their own choices and it's, it's not sort of like getting upset or annoyed at those people that aren't sort of like ending up, you know, getting a service at your studio. Mm -hmm. It's, it's if you've done like the best that you can do and the best that you can offer them, it's then on them to kind of make that choice. It's yeah. not, it goes back to the pressuring thing. You don't want to pressure someone into getting pierced just because, you know, you want them to, like if right. they don't want to get pierced, they don't want to get pierced. That's. Yeah, you know, it, it, people people can make their own decisions. Um, I just want them to have uh, at least a little bit of information to help them make mm -hmm. that decision. And in, in the end, if they choose one of those other places, I'm fine with it, you know. And then if if uh, you know if their piercing heals great, then fine, you know, like awesome for them. Uh, but you know, I, I just I just want people to believe that I'm not trying to rip them off, uh, and that's that's really the most important thing for me, you know. Uh, and if people just aren't interested in that information, I'm not going to like force it on them. I'm not going to shove it down their throats. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll just say like, okay, here's my business card. Feel free to check out my website. If you have any more questions, give me a call or an email. And sometimes I'll just leave it at that, you know, and I don't want to, um, seem like desperate. Like I'm, I'm trying to beg people to, to get pierced by me. Uh, my, my conversations used to be much longer. You know, it used to be one of those, like, I'm worried about you going, to one of these competing studios and I, you know, please don't do that because of this, that, or whatever. And, uh, now I, I don't do that at all because, you know, it just seems cheesy. Um, and yeah, yeah. I think a lot you know, of people get trapped, uh, into, um, slating other shops to try and make themselves look better. Yeah. And then most people just kind of look at it like, Oh wow, you're a dick. Like I'm definitely gonna go to this other shop now. Right. It's, you know, it's, I, I, it's, there's no need for it anymore. Yeah, it's more like the too blessed to be stressed kind of thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do fine whether you get pierced by me or not, you know. So uh, in the end, like, sure, I would want everyone to be, you know, taken care of by whatever shop they choose and, you know, have their, their safety as a, as a primary focus and all that stuff. But, you know, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to bend over backwards for, for people that aren't interested, you know. But if they want information, if they want to ask a million questions, I'm, I'm happy to do that. If they, uh, you know, if they're counting pennies on the counter to pick out jewelry that they can afford, I will totally work with those people, you know, and sometimes I'll, I'll give them little tweaks or little discounts because I just want people to get the best experience they can. And it's not really just all about making money, you know, it's about making clients happy and, and making sure that they have good piercings. 
Yeah, and that like ten dollar discount you might offer to one person might then bring five of their friends in, and you're obviously not going to give all of those five friends that same ten dollar discount, but it, it's it's worth it for that person to then bring their friends in with them. Yeah, and you know, my biggest like, thing is. Sorry, go ahead. As you say, they're then likely going to have a rough idea of what they're going to end up spending before they've kind of come in the shop. Totally. So it's it's a little bit easier for them to then. There's not that sticker shock shock factor. Like yeah. they know, okay, I'm probably going to end up spending seventy five dollars here. Like I'm comfortable with that. That's fine. Yeah. Whenever uh, like so on my release form, there's a little bit that says, you know, how did you hear about us, kind of thing, and uh, a lot of people will say. You know, I was referred by a friend or, you know, I was sent in by this other studio or, you know, I'm a repeat client. And when I see that on the form, it just kind of, it, it puts me at ease a little bit knowing that it's not going to be as much of an uphill battle, you know, like they, mm-hmm. they know what we're about. Um, and they, they sought that out, you know, like they came here for a reason. They didn't just randomly walk through my door, um, not knowing anything about us. So in a situation like that, it's, it's great because, uh, you know, I, I think the things that draw people to my studio are, you know, the, the education of the staff, the, the quality of the sterilization and the cleanliness, but, you know, also the, the jewelry uh, availability and, like, the, the different options that they get. So I like to, to work with that a little bit. And, you know, if they come through the door um, already, like, with something in mind of, like, okay, I understand, yeah, it will cost a few dollars more, but it's because I'm going to get all these other things that I might not be able to get in another studio. It just makes it so much more relaxed you know it's not it's not as much of a a struggle to get them um, picking out the jewelry that they want and and getting them like a a fun piercing yeah and it's not always necessarily a bad thing to be known as the uh, i guess quote unquote expensive shop yeah like it's being known as the cheap shop i'd be more worried about but yeah it's it's not the end of the world if people okay they're a little bit more expensive then they might start asking why you're a little bit more expensive. And it does kind of give you that opportunity to explain why your service costs a little bit more, why your jewelry is a little bit better quality. Um, And then, yeah, it kind of gives you that opportunity to educate people and create more clients and more educated clients, which I think is good for everybody. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, it's good for other studios too, you know, and um, maybe it might help make the decision for some of those studios to get off the bench, you know, and, get in the game to use like a terrible sports analogy. But, you know, when, when they start to see uh, clients from other studios come into theirs uh, and they're already wearing nice jewelry and all that stuff, they might look at their jewelry and be like, man, you know, if, if people out there are seeking out this stuff and they're getting pierced with it and they're happy, um, you know, why are we still sticking with this this lower quality stuff, you know? So maybe it'll inspire them to to kind of take the, take the jump and, and start working on uh, improving the, the quality in their own studios. Yeah, that's been a big thing with the, I guess, the UK in general. Like, if you look at it, 2010, 2012, sort of like era, there wasn't really a lot of studios offering, like, a quality product as such. I think it's taken a lot longer for it to kind of make its way across, you know, to us. And then it was a case of, I think, more and more people started stocking it. And then the, the studios that were local to them that saw okay maybe these people are willing to spend a little bit more money let me do some research let me get an account and let's see if we can do it as well and it's kind of progressing a little bit more to the point that now you know most businesses are communicating with each other in the uk which you know four or five years ago was unheard of yeah you know it's it's um it's a communal kind of thing you know and the more piercers in an area that put in the work and 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 try to expand the jewelry the easier it gets because all you're doing is you're making a, a better educated client base, you know. And if you have um, clients who only have uh, exposure to uh, 
better quality information, better quality sterilization, better quality jewelry in one studio, that's going to slow down the progression of the entire area. You know, if you have Mm -hmm. two or three or four or however many studios that are all kind of on the same page, you know, maybe they don't have the exact same resources or options or selection, but they're all kind of on the same page about like, yes, we understand what like a, a acceptable minimum standard is. Uh, and everybody kind of works towards that, then all of those clients are going to be comfortable with it. And then when they go into any one of those studios, they're going to think like, oh, okay, you know, you're using this brand. I'm I'm familiar with it already. You know, you're using this aftercare. I'm familiar with it already. And it just makes it so much easier to, to give them a quality product if you don't have to start from scratch with every single person that walks through the door. Yeah, so if you've got four studios in one area and you're all offering the same sort of like product and service, that becomes the standard. It's not like the standard is a couple of rungs below and you are above it and you have to explain why you are above it. It kind of takes a certain level of the, the sales out of it when the standard is already at like an industry standard. Also, like like you were saying, it's it's not good to, to sling mud at other studios. What I've been finding is that as the industry shifts towards higher quality, those studios that are uh, resistant to it, they end up having to do a lot more mudslinging to kind of justify what they're offering in their own studio. Mm-hmm. And that actually uh, drives a lot more people towards me. You know, when, when uh, people used to come into my studio, you know, five years ago and they would say oh yeah i went to this place and you wouldn't believe the things they said about you you know (laughs) like you're you're ripping me off and you're doing this and you're doing that and at the time i would get really hurt and really offended and be like oh man you know like hey i'm just trying to offer something nice you know it's like i'm not trying to ruin their life um but now people come in and they're like yeah i went to this other studio you wouldn't believe what they said about you it's completely laughable and it's like yeah now i get that because now they're having to um compete against what I'm offering on, on like my, by my rules, basically, you know, so Mm -hmm. they have to trash me and uh, say like, oh yeah, you don't need an autoclave. You don't need to change your gloves. (laughs) You don't need to do that, do that. And then clients that are already like educated or at least a little bit educated, they'll be like, what are you talking? And then, and then they realize like, this isn't the place for me. I'm going to go back to precision. And, uh, you know, so yeah, mudslinging isn't good for uh, you know for you to do it to someone else. But if someone does it towards you, a lot of times that's like, well, I've got to be doing something right if they're trying to like actively just trash me so that they can keep their their clientele. Yeah, I think that's also a good thing about I guess the the online community of piercing enthusiasts. Now, I think there's always the good and bad sides of those kind of things. But it's when there's a lot of readily available good information from the multiple forums that uh, you know you can have clients and piercers in there's a good amount of learning they can do before they even step foot in your shop. So they're already a lot more receptive to what you're going to tell them. Oh yeah. I mean, social media has been like a game changer for, for, I I think everybody would agree that, you know, every shop has been affected by Instagram and, and Facebook and whatever, you know, because now people come in and I don't have to, you know, again, I don't have to start from scratch. They come in and they say, oh, you know, where's your body vision section? You know, and, and yeah. <laughs> it's 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 great. Like when people come in and they're like, you know, oh yeah, I, I'm looking for something specific from Anatometal or they hold up their phone with a picture of something that's that you already carry, you know, and it's it's so much easier to uh, to make that sale when you can say like, oh yeah, I've got that right over here. Check this out. I've got it in 10 different color options and whatever. And, and then it, it kind of gives you that instant credibility of like, oh yeah, they're already doing like the cool thing that I've seen on Instagram, you know, and if they're following 
uh, some piercer and, and, you know, like, oh, I really love this and I really love that. You can be like, oh, yeah, totally. I know that person. They're a friend of mine. And, and you know, I, I, I have that exact same thing right here and this and that. And what's even cooler is sometimes if people come in and they, they bring in a social media picture that you posted, um, because then, you know, like they're already following you. They're maybe already enthusiastic about getting pierced in your shop. And um, you, you don't really have to put all that energy and pressure into the education side of it and you can make it more of like the the personality uh and, and connection side of it yeah it's like uh the is preems like one of the biggest sellers in our studio and like you post it on your social media it's like oh how much is this and then i'll come in the shop like i want this exact thing in the exact same position you're like it's the easiest sale of your life like you haven't had to put right. any effort into it like the internet has done it all for you right yeah that was the big thing during like the the daith doth craze People would come in, they'd hold up their phone, and it would be that piercing with some really fancy, kind of expensive piece of jewelry. And I would be like, awesome, this is going to be a really easy day for me. And I'd be like, yeah, totally. Uh, right here, I've got you know 15 options you can pick. And, and they're already in that mindset of like, I want this, I know this is fancy, I want to be fancy. Um, and it just, it's it's fun when it gets to that, that point, you know? Like, if you're kind of just starting out with, with high-quality jewelry, it's a lot more of a push and it's a lot more of a struggle. But then when you kind of get into that groove where it's just this fun experience of, like, the, the clients already know what you have, they're there for a reason, they're there because they want what you have, then it opens up this this fun experience of, like, you know, giving them all these crazy options and then just letting them them pick whatever whatever they love. Yeah, it's the the triple forward helix kind of thing, isn't it? It's I think there was one done at uh, Born This Way has the gold flower and the gold trinities, right? And it's like oh, I want this done. And you're like, okay, like these particular pieces are gonna cost X amount, and like, and you can kind of occasionally you start to see that oh shit, I don't want to spend that kind of money. And you're like, oh, we have the you can get the, a similar sort of look with like the like near metal flowers and trinities, at like a, I guess a lower price point, but it's still gonna look you know amazing. Well, yeah, it's just kind of it's it's taking their enthusiasm and rolling it into something that they're they're gonna walk out the door with a giant smile on their face, you mm-hmm. know. And maybe they spent a little bit, uh, maybe they spent a little bit of money, but it was the experience that they wanted, and you gave them exactly what they wanted, and and that's really the important thing, you know. And it's like reading people, but again, taking pressure out of it, you know, because if people come in, and you know they hold up that thing, and and you say, okay, I can do that, but it's gonna be six hundred or whatever, and then they they freak out, you know, and um, I don't want them to, to just leave because they think that 600 is the only option, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, just like you said, if you could do the, the Neo metal version and be like, okay, well I can totally do this for, you know, 200 or 300 or something. And then they're like, yeah, totally awesome. You're working with me. This is great. But yeah. I'm going to still get something really cool. It's like, yeah, it is the easiest day of my life. Like, I think that's the, the, the main thing going back to the earlier point where it's, it's cheaper if you get it done now, it's people want a triple four helix. They want the, the ascending sizes, it's like, oh, how much is it for plane? It's this amount. How much for gemstones? This amount. Oh, I'll give it a plane. And I'm like, yeah, but you're going to save yourself X amount of money if you literally just change your end pieces from a plane ball to a gemstone. Whereas if you do it afterwards, it's going to cost you twice as much. It's, right. It's, so um, kind of, I, I want to start wrapping it up, but one thing I wanted to, to talk about first really quick is some of the conversations that we were having when we all went out to uh, to, to dinner and drinks after the class. Uh, with um, UK distributors now for some of the the more popular US brands, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I've talked about on the show lots of times over Industrial Strength UK, um, and now there's a, a UK distributor for Anatometal. And um, do you feel like that's helping expand jewelry, or do you feel like it's 
you still have that pressure of, you know, I, I can't get everything I need right away. I still have to wait. Um, do you feel like it's uh, it's having those UK distrib distributors has been taking a lot of that pressure off, or do you feel like it's it's pretty similar still? It makes it uh, a lot easier. I think more so from a pricing perspective, because the distributors are going to be paying that import tax. Yep. You don't have, you know, you place your order, and then six weeks later it turns up, and you kind of budgeted for that amount, and then it gets in, you're like, Oh, okay, UPS have said I've got to pay them £700. Wow. It kind of takes that aspect away from it, so it's already included. Yeah. Um, like, you do have to pay a little bit of VAT, but there's no, like, imports or anything like that. Um, and equally, the distributors are really easy to work with. Like, if you're just starting to stock industrial strength and you send Paddy an email, and it's like, Paddy, I have absolutely no idea what I want to order, what's popular. Um, he offers, like, starter packs and those kind of things of, you know, items that are a lot easier to shift than say a little bit like specialist things so the colors are a bit easier to shift and then equally you don't really have to worry about too much like it's super easy to set an account up super easy to order with um the wait times seem to be a little bit quicker if you go for the uk distri distributor as well mm -hmm. um which is handy um because basically they're they're getting in gigantic orders and then they're yeah. doling it out bit by bit to whoever wants like specifics yeah, I think initially when when ISUK started, the, the wait times were, were, you know, weren't great. But that's more because he had no idea what people wanted to stock. So once he had a better idea of that, he'd keep more of those things in stock so that it would be a little bit quicker for you to get your orders if he's already got a few of those pieces in stock. Right. Or if you needed like those emergency pieces, he may well have it in stock and could help you out. But it, I think it, it, it stops people having an excuse of not, sort of starting to make progression it can't be like oh i can't order it's from america like i guess i'll still stock this substandard kind of jewelry it's kind of like well no now you've got you've got multiple options of getting better quality needles better quality jewelry better quality jewelry displays even from so like an organics point of view like um there's plenty of uk-based companies that are offering quality organics so and glass as well it's not difficult now for you to start to you know stock branded jewelry and start progressing as you know as a piercer and as a shop so it takes the yeah it takes the excuse out of it like i can understand it's a i think we as piercers still do get that sticker shock but it takes a little bit of that out of it right right i mean it, it's it's great to see people putting in that effort to to build an infrastructure in the uk too because you know the conversations i was hearing five years ago from people were totally different than now. You know, now mm -hmm. people say it so casually like, oh yeah, you could just put in an order with Industrial Strength UK. You can just put in an order with Anatomental UK and oh yeah, you can get it, no problem. You know, and there's there's this distributor for this and, you know, this aftercare and whatever. And five years ago it was like, well, you know, I have to figure it out and order it from someone in a different country and then I have to deal with customs and I have to deal with value added tax and I have to deal with wait, you know, extra wait times and international shipping and it was just a big obstacle, you know, and it's, it's I think the distributors should get a, a lot of credit for trying to help build that infrastructure locally. Yeah, I don't think the industry in the UK would be where it is if we didn't have them. Yeah. Um, like five years ago, I don't think there was many people even using skin prep in the UK at that point. So right. having kind of access to, especially I think the UK Pearson Meetup Forum has... I think changed more people's careers over the past couple of years than sort of it has in the previous 20. Oh yeah, um, no, absolutely. It's, 
I think it's having that forum where it's not as judgmental as most people probably thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And it is a place where you can get, you know, information, especially at like at your fingertips. But like, it's it's not as daunting to ask a question or to post a critique or to, you know, try and source something when everyone is, you know, more receptive now than they were five years ago. When I think the communication there was a few small sort of like clicks of people, but it wasn't as much as like a, an industry of people that were talking to each other. Yeah, you know, it, even if there are clicks, it, it still is, um, it's still a, a full community, you know, because, yeah. you know, anybody can go in there, you know, any any piercer can go in there and they can, they can even just scroll through some of the past posts and they can see all this great information about jewelry and they can see all the struggles and all the work that everyone else has put into their studios, you know, and all the conversations about, you know, I want to, I want to bring my sterilization up to par, you know, how do I do that? And then looking at the comments or looking at the pictures they post as they as they put in that work, you know, and huge improvements to studios and um, all kinds of stuff across the board, you know. So it's it's just cool to, to see it, you know, to really happen, you know, from, from being there at, like, that first UK APP meeting um, and even seeing, like, some of those early conversations at, like, BMXNet about, like, hey, there should be some sort of a UK group or organization. And, and just being able to see it grow from there in just a few years, it's an, it's an enormous difference. It's like night and day. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's, you can also see those people that, you know, say two years ago and they're posting like, oh, like I'm stuck, like I don't know what to do with where I'm working and so on and so on. And people are giving them this advice and you can see that they're taking on that advice. And now the work that they're putting out is, you know, 100 times better than you could have ever imagined it would be. Right. Um, and I think it's also not looking as people as your competition. It's then realizing that, okay, like it's a, like a colleague, like they might work 10 minutes away, but you can have that conversation with them and you can both kind of understand your market a little bit better and go from there. Right. You know, and, and it might seem like a small thing, but just the fact that so many of you can refer your clients to each other, um, mm-hmm. just, just that communal aspect of it is huge too, because uh for the on the client side of it you know if you seem like you're this one little island out in the ocean and you're you're the only one that has this this stuff they might think of it as like you know okay that's cool but you know shouldn't everybody be doing this if it was if it was so important and if it was so intuitive and if it made sense and for you to be able to say like i'm not the only one like you know oh where do you live okay great i know this person in this town you know and and you can go here and you can go to this shop and you can you can get the same jewelry from these three people that are within a half an hour of you being able to have that network where you can um, start to refer people around that that's a huge jump in the industry too because uh it, it just um it increases the confidence of of the clientele 100 percent, and i think considering we're probably the size of a very small u.s state like we're not that big like and a lot of people travel for uni and having your clients that are moving two three hours away for uni doesn't seem like a lot to travel say if you're living in a u.s state where you have to travel a lot more but in the uk three hours travel is huge that's like half the country yeah. Um, I mean, like, oh, yeah, my friend, you know, works in this studio. Go check him out. Super cool. And immediately they know that they can go into that shop and, and get the service that they deserve to get is yeah. is massive. And also when, when one of those clients comes into your studio, you know, I've mm-hmm. had people come in sometimes where they've said, oh, you know, I, I go to I go to school here and, you know, and I'm back for the summer. And, you know, this person told me that, it, that I got to come in and I got to talk to you. And it's be like, oh, cool. I know them. And this and that and whatever and then they just they they already just feel welcome and at home mm-hmm. and comfortable and and you know they 
it, it it's like that continuation of trust. Like I already trust my piercer back home, and they trust you, so now I trust you. And uh, it's just it's cool to be able to to have that. Yeah, and I think it's it's also a good chance to you get to see sort of like uh, how other people work when you do that kind of thing. That oh, okay, they placed it there. Like different like you can start to kind of analyze how somebody else works just from seeing their work and their jewelry, mm-hmm. and you can kind of start to work out pieces that that work really well with the piece that they picked out from from your colleague's shop and you know you can start having clients that you're at one end of the country away from each other but you've both collaborated on this one client's ear and it looks cool yeah yeah and it's also cool too when they you know when they come in and they have a certain kind of taste you can tell from their jewelry mm-hmm. and you can immediately steer them right towards that and you're you know like oh i see that you're wearing all rose gold check this out i've got this or oh i can tell that you really like lavender opals you know let me show you what i have and um, it's fun being able to do that kind of collaborative work with people. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, I guess I've only really started being social, I guess, uh, I guess <laughs> in the past like three or four years and seeing my work change from how it was four years ago to now was, it's completely different. And I think mainly it's due to kind of having that community where you can, you know, oh, what do you think of this piece that I did, you know, a few days ago? And they'd be like, oh, we'll try this. It might be a little bit different or, you know, it looks really great. It kind of gives you that little bit more confidence to try new things and to, you know, to be able to talk to people kind of changes your skill set as well, and especially things like seminars. Yeah. yeah. The, the options for learning these days are 10 times more than they used to be. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look at it just a few years ago, you know, you were you were really lucky if you'd get somebody like Ron Garza to come through town, you know, because there wasn't mm-hmm. like some unified conference or, you know, something where you could go for multiple days and take classes on multiple subjects. You know, that was just unheard of for a really long time, you know, and now with the explosion of, of education online and in person, um, it, it, it makes just a huge impact. That's why I love to, to get around and, and travel and, and teach, you know, because... I just, I absolutely love seeing that progression of people. And especially when I get to go back to places year after year. And, um, you know, you start off with these kind of entry-level questions and people are like, okay, well, how do I get started? And then you see them a year later and they're like, yep, you know, I'm doing all these things and and check this out. And this is what I did with my studio. And it's just really awesome being able to see that that progression and that growth with people. Yeah, I think with with the UKPP, you've, never imagined it would kind of take off how it has and um it's a super fun weekend like even if you go there if you don't learn a huge amount at least you kind of get to feel i guess part of a community and you often learn a lot more outside of those classes just talking to people in the bar afterwards yeah i mean i not to like you know uh pat people on the back too hard but i i totally saw it uh as as possible you know like when i was sitting down at BMX, listening to the UK group of piercers, t- talking about what they wanted to do and their goals and their aims and all that stuff. And um, then that, that first meetup, you know, and I, you could tell, like there was like a buzz in the air and there's that electricity where you're like, this is this is really going to get somewhere cool. And, you know, I want to give them as much support as possible. And, you know, the APP felt the same way. And um, it's just, it's great. And I, I totally remember the first time I ever heard about you, like coming on the scene, you did kind of, come out of nowhere really and it was just like okay yeah there's this 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 new piercer you gotta know their name even if you can't pronounce it and um you know always like dressing fancy looking like a professional putting out this good quality work putting out this good quality jewelry and um you know so uh it it was just neat being able to see that and now that i like i've met you you in person and being able to interact and and talk to you a little bit more then uh 
you know, it's just, it's cool, like meeting all these these new people. You know, five years ago uh, uh, versus now, like I know so many more UK piercers putting in all this like hard work and you know getting all these awesome results, and it's just really cool to see it. Yeah, it's it's been I guess mind blowing that you you never realize how many how many friends you can kind of make just from doing the same job. Like uh, a couple of my closest friends are people that I met through the industry before. I guess I was just I'm still not overly social, but um, like just for, I think it was one convention over in Cheltenham and um, working there kind of, it gave me the, the in to another studio. And then also, you know, I've got really good friends from it that have helped me kind of progress and change the way I work and improve. And I never thought that would be a case. I just kind of thought piercing was one of those things that you hated every shop in your area. And then eventually you kind of hit 30, quit and got a proper job. Right, yeah. And now you're all best friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'm going to kind of start wrapping it up. Are you coming to the APP conference this year? I am. I'll, I won't be there like the full week. I think I get in Saturday afternoon and I leave Thursday afternoon. So I'm going to be missing the Friday. But um, it's the first year over there. We kind of have some studio stuff to do afterwards. Cool. Well, it's going to be a fun week. Um, lots of cool classes. Do you already it's have your be... classes all picked out and everything? I do. I think I have 10 to do. I can't remember what my exact schedule is, but um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a bit hot. but A think... bit hot? Like, yeah. yeah, if you compare it to the UK, like you might <laughs> yeah. burst into flames. Like us British people just love complaining about the weather regardless. So Yeah. I'll so now instead of complaining that it's like cloudy and damp, you'll just complain <laughs> that it's like too hot and dry. Yeah, I've always maintained that I don't mind the heat as long as I've paid for it. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right, so uh, one more time for the people listening. Um, who are you? Where do you work? What's your social media? Uh, I am Kieran Steer. I am a current UK APP member. Uh, my studio is Old on the Road Tattoos in Kingston-upon-Thames, which is on the Surrey and London border. And uh, social media is at Pearson by Kieran on everything other than Twitter. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I guess I will see you in a couple of weeks in Las Vegas. That you shall. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'll see you there. Thanks for talking to me. Take care, mate. Bye. All right. Thanks for talking to me, Karen. I appreciate it. Uh, so as I said, uh, my next uh, big trip will be the APP conference in Las Vegas. So if there's anyone you want me to interview, if there's any specific subject you want me to try to get um, a, a show recorded about while I'm there, um, reach out. You know, now's the time. Uh, that Now's when I'm going to be trying to nail down some, some time in people's schedules. And uh, I really want to get a, a lot of interviews done at the APP conference this year. And, you know, um, I think this year is going to be a little bit less about the um, social kind of party vibe for me and, and just really try to hunker down and get as many episodes as possible and, and try to carry me through uh, some of the summer and get me uh, pretty close to my next teaching trips after that. The uh, UK APP conference and BMXnet and Camp APP and all that stuff. So... You know, I'm aiming to get uh, at least a half a dozen interviews in Las Vegas. Um, I've got a, a few in mind already. I've got a few subjects. I've got a few interview uh, interviewees that I, I really want to try to nail down if they have some free time. But um, I want to know what uh, what you want to hear too. So if there's a specific piercer, a specific jewelry manufacturer, um, someone related to the industry at all, you know, uh, totally reach out, shoot me an email, ryanpba at gmail.com or message me off of the Piercing Wizard podcast Facebook page and let me know what you want to hear. Otherwise, you just get what you get. Uh, so thanks for listening, and I'll be back with another episode next week. 
For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.